Good morning. My name is Pastor Tim. Uh, if it's your first Sunday here, we just want to give you a warm welcome. We hope that you feel the presence of God. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but it was just an awesome thing to just be ushered into the presence with the worship team. Amen. Guys, give them a hand. They did a good job. Ryan, thank you. Um, I don't know about you, but there was a holiday this Wednesday. Um, it was fun to be able to relax. We hope that you guys were able to spend time with your family, get time away from work. It was kind of weird. It was on a Wednesday. I had multiple friends be like, I have to go to work tomorrow morning. And uh, it, so it's kind of weird to see the fireworks and then be up late and then get up early and, and get back to work. So, um, But anyway, we hope and pray that you stayed I feel like nobody lost an arm or appendage or anything like that. So good job, Sunrise. You guys were safe. Um, and uh, it was fun for us because we came up to the St. Peter uh, Parade. And this year was like the first year that you didn't melt while you watched the parade. Anybody go to the parade? It was good. It was cloud covered just in time. I know uh, Nicole and, and Rosalie, they walked through it. And, and so it was just a fun time. We had, we had friends in, in over afterwards and, and uh, we ate lots of food. I smoked uh, a nine pound pork shoulder. It was amazing. Um, so anyway, we, we had a good time and it was America. Amen? <laughs> um, but uh, we just, um, one of the things I think is, is good for us to remember during the 4th of July is that, that we are the land of the free because right? Land of the free because of the sacrifice of people that served the U.S. military, the sacrifice of lives lost. And so I think it's just a good time to remember that and honor that. And if you're part of the U.S. military, we just honor you and we thank you for your service. But as Mark um, shared this morning, we're going back into the war series. And it, war is one of those things, like, I kind of have this fantasy mindset of what war is. Um, but it's really kind of an ugly thing, right? I've talked to a lot of people who have either served in war. Uh, we have students that have gone off to war and come back and, and, been, and gone through college. Um, just even veterans that you talk to. My grandpa served in World War II. Um, and so one of those things for me, like, World War II has always been fascinating to me. Um, I love reading about it. I love reading stories about it. I love reading books about it. I will consume pretty much anything about World War II. And um, I loved how Pastor Mark started off last week uh, with Trials and Temptations. My favorite quote, I've actually been chewing on this all week. Uh, my favorite quote from last week is, Patience isn't us waiting on God. It's God waiting on us. You guys, there is so much truth to that sentence where I'm just like, Whoa, like how many times do we sit here in our, in our relationship with God, like, God, why aren't you listening to me? Where is my answer? And God's going, I'm over here, dummy. I want you to look this way. Like he wants us to go a completely different direction and we're over there like staring at the door, like, is it open yet? Is it open yet? Is it open yet? And he's going, it's over here. I'm waiting for you to turn around. You guys, that is gold and Mark gave that to you for free last week. He didn't even charge you for that sentence. So, um, like I said, I've just been chewing on that all week. And so, um, and to be honest with you, I was a little worried that I was not going to be able to get out of that string and then have to explain to you like how weak I really was, right? Like, um, I, thankfully I was able to bust out of that string. Um, it didn't hurt me or cut me or anything. And uh, when Mark said he was about getting dizzy, I told him afterwards, I was like, I was getting dizzy watching you walk around me. So, um, so anyway, um, I think it was just a good analogy on how we can get caught up and just sin, and all of a sudden it's something that we can't escape. Amen? And so anyway, as we, as we talk about war, as we talk about spiritual warfare, it's one of those things that, that 
as we talk about what I want to get into this morning is, is in identifying the enemy. Because it's one of those areas with, with students, with the next generation, that, that we feel like this is what we do a lot of the times is, is, is show people who are you really fighting? What are you really fighting? We have to identify the enemy to know what's going on. Because when it comes to war, it's important that we identify who the enemy is. When I look around the state of the church as a whole, I think that sometimes we have a problem identifying who the real enemy is. We like to go after each other, right? Like this, if you go down this street, there's an AG church, there's a Lutheran church, I think there's another Lutheran church, and, and we like to tell each other who's wrong and who's right, right? We like to get into those debates on like, well, you can see you're a dead church because you don't have guitars, well, you think a little differently than I do. I've had, I don't know how many talks I've had where it's like, you talk to somebody, they're like, oh, I'm a Christian, and be like, yeah, well, do you believe in Calvinism? I'm like, oh, here we go. Because Arminianism, Arminianism is the way, and, and how do you interpret Revelation? Because is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it, and it's like, stop. Let's stop debating the stuff that doesn't matter, because how about let's get back to that Jesus is the way. There's a lot of, of ironing out that happens when we just stay focused on who Jesus is. And one of the things I always tell our students when it comes to identifying the enemy is if you can identify the voice of God in your life, how he speaks to you, you now know how the enemy speaks to you. Because God's not going to speak condemnation into your life. God's not going to bring shame into your life, is he? He's going to be like, I love you, I forgive you. Get back into grace and mercy and start walking this thing out with me. And when we can identify those lies in our life, like there's so much that we can just be like dismissed because that's not of God and that's not from God. One of the things that you need to know about me this morning, and my wife will attest to this, is I love history. Um, one of the things on Netflix, there's a couple shows on Netflix that I'll watch, but mainly I'll raid the documentary section. Anybody else with me? Anybody love the documentaries? Like, like my wife finds that the most boring thing on the face of the planet. She's like, what you watch is boring. And I'm on the flip side, I'm like, what you watch is boring to me because it's fake, right? Like, like I'm at least learning things, that's my justification, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I love rating that section in Netflix. And, and actually, the, this morning I found out that our Netflix account was hacked, so we got that back. But anyway, um, but growing up, has, I've always been fascinated with World War II. I love reading about it, I love studying it, probably because my grandpa was in it. Um, one of the few times that he actually ever shared anything was right after Saving Private Ryan came out. And it was fascinating to me because he, he just was like, it was too real for me. He couldn't make it through Saving Private Ryan. He's like, the sounds, the noises, hearing, the, like, hearing all that stuff, it was just too real. I couldn't make it through. It was one of the few times that he actually sh shared anything about his experience in World War II. And I love reading about that generation because they're known as the greatest generation, Right? And you, th you think about it, you're to being told as an 18-year-old, here's a gun, go defend your country against an evil that is super evil in this world. What they went and did is, like, it blows my mind working with the next generation. I think about handing some, a gun to some of our students, I'm like, eh, I don't know, right? Like, <laughs> some of them are ready. But it just blows my mind what they were asked to do. They went over, they defended our country, and they came back, and then they're told, live a normal life. That switch just boggles my mind. And they did it, and they did it fairly well, if you ask me. 
I love reading about stories about heroes, stories of sacrifice, of bravery, of courage, of brotherhood. And one of the things that kind of always seems to be true when you read about these things is war seems to bring things out in people that they sometimes don't see in themselves. And you guys, I think that statement rings more true for us than we realize. That if we stick ourselves out there and be like, God, I'm a part of your army. I'm going I'm to fight against the spiritual warfare that's going on around me. That God will use us to do things that we don't even know that we're capable of. Until we put ourselves out there, we won't know what we can do. It seems like many Christians, when it comes to war, we just fight anything and everything that comes across our way. But you guys, it's hard to go to war if we don't know what we're fighting. You can't do it. I think there are too many Christians who are walking around with spiritual warfare with no clue on what they're fighting, who they are fighting, and they have no strategy for fighting. I've seen far too many young people get wiped out and destroyed by Satan because they're ignorant to what he's actually doing in their life. One of the things that I was kind of looking up is that uh, when it comes to war, war must be declared, right? For the U.S. to enter into war with somebody, they must declare war as a state, as a, as a government. They declare war against another nation. You can't just be like, whoops, we're at war, right? Like they just, that's not how war works. And countries and civilizations have done this since Old Testament times. When you declare war, it says that both parties know that they're against each other. The U.S. military will not go into war if they don't know who they're fighting. I've never once been like, we'll see what happens when it comes to war, right? Like, what's, what are you going to do? I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go. Would you serve under somebody that was, had that plan in their mindset? We'll figure this out. Uh-uh. I grew up during, during um, Operation Desert Storm. How many of you remember that. It was 42 days of, of relentless pushing in, into Iraq. It was when Iraq pushed into Kuwait and went back out. We came and removed them, right? Like we, we pushed them back into their country. It was, it was 42 days. And I remember like as a kid, I vividly remember like um, the Iraq being so overwhelmed that they were surrendering to camera crews. Do you guys remember that? Where they were just like, oh, whatever. Like, like whole platoons would be like, well, we're done. Like, let's go. And it's a, it's a news crew. They're like, I don't know what to do with these people. Um, like, come with. You know, like, um, do any of you remember the trading cards? I had, like, Operation Desert Storm trading cards. I don't know why that was a thing, but I had them. So anyway, um, but I remember that. The U.S. military had a strategy. It was Operation Desert Storm. And then again, when they went into Iraq under George, H, George W. Bush, it was shock and awe, right? It was to overpower them with, with the troops on the ground, with bombs from the air, with planes flying over, bombing specific structures. It was, it was supposed to be this, such a, a big shock and awe that the, 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 the Iraq military had no idea what to do or how to respond. They knew the enemy. They declared war. They knew what they were fighting. When it comes to spiritual warfare, I think there are many of us who maybe don't realize that we are indeed at war. There are some of us here that, that we realize that we're at war, but we have no idea how to attack, what to attack, 
and when to attack, so we wind up swinging at everything and anything and everyone. I don't know about you, but since I've been 18, I, I was able to vote in 2000, and, and so I was able to vote. I think George W. Bush was the first president I was able to vote for. But even since I've been able to vote, every, I, I still vividly remember that every president from that time, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and now probably Donald Trump, I haven't heard anything specific, but rumors on how this president is the Antichrist. Any of you been with me? On that, like, we hyper-spiritualize things. I'm like, no, he's the president. I don't think he's the Antichrist, right? Like, back away from the weird talk and let's just, he's our president. We're, we're stuck with him, right? Like, he's not the Antichrist. We have churches that sit outside of events that say, God hates, you know what? God hates whatever. At MSU, we have, I like to say, quote-unquote pastors that come on our campus. And there's a couple days every semester that they come on and they start preaching that God hates you, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And I hate it when they're on campus. Because they're not invested in the community like we are. They don't know the students. They don't know the international students like we know them. And it's like, well, that's great. Now we have to repair a lot of times what they're doing, the, the, the Jesus that they see there. One of my favorite students, and he's with another campus uh, Christian organization, but he just simply sits out there with a sign that says, Jesus loves you. And he's got this biggest, most infectious smile on his face. And he's just talking to us. He's a student himself, and I'm just like, who are you with? Because you need to be with us. But I haven't been able to recruit him. But he just sits there, and he's talking with students. He's engaging them. He's a student. He's a peer. Instead of sitting there going, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, we need to be like, hey, Jesus loves you. They're not invested into the administration. They're not, invested, they're not trying to reach the LGBT community. They're not invested in international students. And they're not invested in the 16,000 other students that are enrolled in the MSU. It bothers me when people come in and try to blow things up like that because it causes us harm. We need to repair things. And I'm a believer that God's word doesn't come back void, right? Like, I think in, in sometimes messed up situations, God can still move hearts. But I'm just like, can we do that without you next time, right? Like, <laughs> to be any good at war, we need to know that there will be trials and temptations. Any soldier knows that they will eventually be shot at. When you read books, like books on World War II, most soldiers I've read about, they come to this realization that I may indeed lose my life. And they say it's like a switch flips. And they're able to do what, what they're being asked to do. They're able to pull out their orders. If Satan doesn't bring trials and temptations in your life, if he doesn't take a couple shots at you, then I would be worried. Because it means you're not in the war. It means you're not in the fight. It means he's got you where he wants you. So this morning, I want us to do something kind of fun, and you can get in each other's face. I want you, I want you to look at your neighbor to your left and, left and right and be like, we are at war. Declare it this morning. Let's go. You guys are a little timid. <laughs> Declare war this morning. Now that we understand that there is a war, and you guys were a little timid, I was hoping for some shouting matches going on, like, we're at war! Right? No, I'm kidding. Um. (laughs) 
But this morning, to declare war, I think, is something that we, just, we need to understand as Christians. We need to identify it. Far too many Christians are at war with anything and everything that come at us. The devil is in rock and roll, electric guitars, and tattoos. Right? But you guys, the hard truth is sometimes Christians are better known for what they're against than what they're for. I don't want to raise a generation that's known for that. I don't want to raise a generation of of followers of Jesus that's better known for what they're against than what they're for. We need to be about love, peace, joy. We need to be about social injustices, seeing people set free. We need to be people that hate oppression. We need to be seen as people that really value life, all life. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your skin color is, what country you come from. The scripture that I read says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That sounds like a mission statement worth marching to. Amen? War is costly. It costs our creator his life. And we are at war until Jesus returns. It's just the nature that we're in. And thankfully for us, the war has already been been won. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians 6. We're reading through verses 10 through 12 this morning. And I'm reading out of the ESV, so it'll be a little bit different if you have the NIV. But it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Because this is a short couple of verses. But there's a lot of gold here that I, that I want to dig apart this morning when it comes to identifying the enemy. And the first one is in verse 11, it talks about the schemes of the devil. The devil is scheming. We can't forget that. We can't fall asleep to that. That he is working in the background. He's trying to bring as many people down with him as he possibly can. Last week, Mark talked about trials and temptations, and, and I love he, I, he talked about how Jesus was tempted, right? But Jesus knows how to fight Satan. Before Jesus began his ministry, the Holy Spirit drug him out to the desert for 40 days, and Satan begins to, to tempt him at the end of that. He begins to whisper lies into Jesus' ear. He says, Hey, you can turn these stones into bread, right? Like Satan's attacking Jesus' hunger and satisfaction. Who is he really satisfied with? Jesus, Satan brings Jesus to the top of the temple and he, he begins to attack his ego and might, right? Like if you, if you plunge yourself down on these rocks, like the angels will save you, right? Like how many of you like it when your ego's attacked? Not me. <laughs> like, oh, I could, I'll prove that, right? Like thankfully Jesus didn't get caught. If you are, then throw yourself down. Then Satan takes Jesus to the top of the mountain and says, I'll give you everything. Everything you see, I'll give you. Satan is attacking his materialism and wealth. And every time, Jesus rebuts with scripture. When it comes to war, Satan is no dummy. Can we stop treating him like he is? Satan attacks Jesus with everything that he has, 
his mind, his body, his soul, and Jesus fights it with scripture. I love it. He fights it with the Old Testament. There is power in the Old Testament. You need to get in there. You need to find it. You need to read it. Jesus was a little busy making sure the New Testament got written at the time, right? Like, so he used the Old Testament. Dive into that. There's so much good there. And then when it comes to verse 12, we get to this word. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And that word that he uses for wrestle is like, we sometimes get this cute like singlet, like headset, you know, like, hey, we're going to wrestle, shake hands, and get as many points as we can, right? But the word wrestle is actually a little bit more graphic there. It's a little bit deeper. And sometimes when, when I see this word wrestle, I think, my kids live here, right? Like, they do nothing but wrestle, they're always like, stop hitting each other. Don't hit your brother. Don't put him in a headlock. Don't pull his hair. Don't, like, my kids live out Ephesians 6.12. It ever feels that way. Any parents with me? But the Greek word is a little bit more gritty than this, like, play that my kids do. The Greek word used is, is paleo, and it's used um, for a, a Greek building, an ancient Greek building that used to sit in the center of Greek cities. It was called a, a, a palestra. And it was basically this palace that was dedicated to athletic skills. Morning, noon, and night, athletes would come and train for sports, but there were three main sports that they were training for. The first one was Boxing. And it's not the cute boxing that we have with mouth guards and, and padded gloves. It's the boxing where you're literally weighting your hands. You're putting steel shards in your hands, glass, whatever it takes. There was one rule in boxing that you can't grab the other person's fists. And it was so, such a brutal sport that you could not box without a helmet on. It was a brutal sport. People died boxing. This is what they were training for. The, other one, the second one was wrestling. And, and yes, it's kind of like ours, but it's still, it's, it's more serious than this. And, and, and in this day, any, any young Roman child would have been, a uh, male child would have been training in wrestling. It was kind of their sport. And there were a few more rules on this. Usually nobody died, but there was a definite winner and they weren't walking around in cute singlets, right? Like, it just, it's not, that's not how they wrestled back then. And then there was a third one. And this is one I, I never actually kind of heard of until I was studying for this, but it was called pancration. And when you dig apart that word, it actually means all-powerful. So these athletes were called all-powerful. All and this was the most brutal. They were able to kick, bite, gouge, pull, break, whatever they wanted to. And it was a fight to the death. And the word that Paul uses for wrestle is out of this word of palestra. And, and you guys, when Paul uses this word, everybody in this time frame would have thought of that. Would have had this picture in their minds of this is what wrestling looks like. Not this cute little like, oh hey, dang it, I got pinned this time. Guess I'll get up and try again. It's a fight to the death. It's gritty. Paul is telling us that spiritual warfare can be intense, ugly, and a struggle. And it looks like war. 
And then Paul keeps going. He, he begins to show us what, what, the, what the kingdom of, of Lucifer, of what the devil's kingdom looks like. He tells us, but we are against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He shows us how Satan is organized. He identifies the enemy. The rulers, when you look at that word, it talks about basically the most powerful in Satan's kingdom. And it's actually kind of an ancient word. It, it almost points to that these people, these demons, have been in place probably since the fall of Lucifer. They've been there a long time. They know what they're doing. They're the most powerful in Satan's kingdom, the rulers. The authorities, it's, it's this word of delegated power. They're the second in command. They have power as well. And then cosmic powers over this present dark, darkness. These are two words, cosmos and kratos. Cosmos is order, arrangement. Kratos is raw power. The same word is used to describe military camps. Where you take little boys and make them into soldiers. An army. A lean, mean fighting machine, right? And Paul is giving us this glimpse of what Satan's kingdom looks like. And, and I don't know about you, but what does it look like? An army. That's how Satan treats his demons. Paul is giving us a picture of how serious Satan is at war. And I want to ask you, are you? The devil is about doing as much damage to us as humans as he possibly can because we are made in the image of God. And he hates that. And he wants to bring us down because of that. And he's willing to treat his demons just like they are troops. He puts them in rank and file, gives them orders and assignments, and sends them out like soldiers. Not to tickle, to kill, maim, and destroy. That's who we fight. That's how serious Satan is about the war. And without Jesus, we are dead. We're dead. There's nothing that we can do. We are spending eternity in hell without the Son coming and giving his blood for us. There's nothing. We're hopeless to it. We have no power, no authority. But thankfully, this is where Jesus comes in. One of my favorite Star Wars quotes from Rogue One is, is this. It says, rebellions are built on hope. Right? And without Jesus, we have no hope. We have no rebellion. The, the kind of the thought I had or the visual I had is we're like a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, right? I don't know why my parents had that saying, but they did as, as, when I was growing up. I love verses like 1 Peter 1.13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus, we become a part of his army. And I was just thinking through Romans 8. Um, what is it? Romans 8. Uh, let me pull it up. I want to read this to you here quick. This morning I was thinking about Romans 8.37. It says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, or height, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You guys, that, is so, that, that verse just gets my blood going because we are more than conquerors. The battle's done. It's not even a battle. We just need to get on Jesus' side. Give our lives to him and we are more than conquerors. Victory, it's like the word is just like, we're, the victory's there. Just get with Jesus. There's no battle. You guys, that brings me hope. If we don't identify that we're at war and that he's here to kill, maim, and destroy simply because we're made in God's image, we will get lazy. And so my call to you this morning is, is, is be disciplined. Get in the word. Spend time with Jesus because without that, you can't fight him. Jesus showed us that when he was tempted by Satan. We need to have scripture in our hearts so that we can fight every temptation and trial that comes our way. Be committed. Don't waft back and forth. Don't come to church, not come to church. Don't be connected, not be connected. Be committed and be organized. There's nothing like fighting with somebody who will fight by your side, amen? When you have people that you can call on, I need prayer in this area. I need accountability in this area. I'm struggling with this. Let's get into scripture. Let's dig in. I'm excited for the series, the next couple coming up. Mark's going to dig into the armor of God, the weapons of God. Zach's getting into the battlefield of the mind because you guys, there's so much going on there. And Jesus gives us the tools to fight. He doesn't say, here, good luck. We'll see what happens. He gives us a strategy, authority. So as we close tonight, this morning... (laughs) I'm used to college ministry, sorry. I have a video that I want to play for you guys. And it comes back to the gospel. It comes back to who Jesus is and what he invites us to. And I just want to challenge you to go ahead and watch this video. to introduce you to the gospel right now. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help, I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed because when the enemy comes in in the very end and he's gonna finish you off because he has legal right to do it and he's gonna relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor, your mighty man. And he stands between you and that accuser and he takes the hit. 
that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it has always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You're saying, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, but an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you. This is child. Me? This child? We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of. Because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat. I would, I would gladly serve you. Any way you want. Any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out. And you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll destroy you, they'll hate you, they'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body, take my blood, spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The 
commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. Not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering. It is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. take your life because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions because the living God almighty the consuming almighty sovereign God dwells within his children and as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down because we do not head off to war to lose we head off to war to win our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs because his lambs beat the wolf packs. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that he is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world.
to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like he loves. Pray that he would fill you with himself and he would love in and through you. Don't pray that he would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that he would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works because it's him imitating himself. And he's very good at being God. you but every time I watch that video I'm like let's go right like we don't go to war to lose we head off to war to win you guys and like the video said that you are sheep among wolves without Jesus but with Jesus you are little lions little lambs with the faces of lions so I would just ask you this morning is who are you fighting what are you fighting? You need to identify the enemies. Satan's demons will tempt, seduce, deceive, and assault your mind. Do you know God's voice in your life? Do you know and realize that we are at war? It's not against people. It's against the devil and his schemes. Do you see yourself as a soldier? Because if you do, then realize you will get shot at. And the awesome thing is, and what we'll cover in the next few weeks moving forward, is that God has given us the weapons and the armor to be able to do what he wants us to do. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. That God, that you are a God who is more mighty than anything that we can accomplish on our own. That God, through you, we are more than conquerors. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that they're trying to fight the war on their own, in their own strength. And God, they may be in that spot that they feel like they're failing miserably. God, I pray that you would enter into their life and make things new and realize and make them more than a conqueror this morning. That, Father, we'd be able to identify as a church that people aren't the enemy. They're what you're going after. They're what you want us to go after. Go and make disciples. Father, help us to stand against the, the kingdom of Satan who's trying to pull and maim and destroy as many people with him as he can with the limited time that he's got left. Father, help us to realize who's in control. Father, just like this video shared, I pray that we, we can have moments and things in our life that we would just, we don't pray for peace, that you would give us moments and you would come and fill us as the Prince of Peace. And 
And Father, when we get better identifying who the enemy is, I pray that we'd also get 10 times better at identifying how you speak to us and your voice. So that God, we can dismiss, we can cut off the lies and the tempts and, and the temptations of the devil that, that try to come in in the schemes of the devil. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are more than conquerors. God, I pray that anybody is, is, is here this morning and they feel like they're in the middle of the battle and they feel, feel like they're about to lose, that they would realize this morning that they're not on the losing side when they're in Jesus. We don't go to war to, to lose, we go to war to win. And that Father, with you, we are little lambs with faces like lions. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We give you praise this morning. And Father, I pray that as we, we leave from this place, that you'd begin to put faces and minds in the hearts of the people that are sitting here this morning. Those that are lost, those that have, have been wrapped up in the battle and are on the losing side that don't know you. Father, may we begin to put on the armor of God. May we grab the weapons that you give us and go to battle and bring them back to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise in this place. And we look forward to the testimonies, to the, to the baptismal days of, of people coming to you and declaring that they are now all in on you. Father, we thank you for those celebrations. We thank you for being able to celebrate people coming to you. And Father, we pray for more. God, we just give you thanks and praise in this place. We close now and we give it all back to you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. Love you guys. If there's an area in your life that you just feel like I'm wrapped up and I don't know who the enemy is, I don't know what I'm fight, fighting, I would love to pray with you this morning. But I would encourage you, be disciplined, be committed and get organized. Amen? Love you guys.